So in the first season of this podcast in 2011, we had just uh, started covering the Alec Baldwin and Radiohead show for September 24th, and it was a particularly good episode. It was just a really, really fun episode. And on that episode, I made the observation both to the audience and to myself for the first time that when Saturday Night Live is good, it's good. It's really funny. But when Saturday Night Live is great, it's more than funny. It's a party. It's an exclusive party that the uh, that America and the Saturday Night Live fans get to be invited to. And that's when SNL is at its absolute best. And it was such a wonderful delight for the first time in 42 years, the entire run of this show to watch last night, legally watch with the rest of the country and Canada at 830 Los Angeles time and watch the show go national for the first time live on all four time zones across the country and in Canada. And in the monologue, which we'll talk about when we get to the Jimmy Fallon episode, he actually says this is going to be more than just a show. It's going to be a party. It's like he had been listening to our podcast back in 2011 and wanted to bring that spirit to the show. And at the end of the day, more than almost anything else, more than great cast members and great writing, because you need that just to get by. But when you compare this to the other competitors in the late night, Saturday, you know, weekend sort of sketch comedy sphere, the Mad TV, Fridays, the show that the Lonely Island guys had, Second City Television, the uh, Howard Cosell's Saturday Night Live from 1975, what none of them have that this show has is that it's a party because you can't manufacture a party on a soundstage pre-taping the show a part it's like you can't record your friend's uh, cocktail party and then watch it on your ipad the next day and actually think that it's a good time you gotta be there live so what a wonderful experience the culmination of 42 years of live television to be at the party live across the country and i don't i'm not gonna say jimmy fallon's the best host i'm not going to say that he was the best cast member, but he is clearly one of the best hosts of a party, which is what we got invited to. And yet this is yet another reason why I love Saturday Night Live and why we do this, which is the SNL recap podcast. I'm your host, Rich Tackenberg, and I'm joined with my lovely and vivacious co-host, Mr. Mike Bloom. Hello, Mike. My... Adjectives do not just describe my eyelashes, right? There's more to me than just the lashes. <laughs> maybe it's Mike. Maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> so let's we're going to we're going to put a pin in that and we're going to start with the uh, with the absolutely deserving, uh, you know, first of two episodes uh, here. Uh, you know, we'll, we're going to start with Louis C.K., which I think we both probably agree was a, a very solid episode. Uh, I don't know that there is, as, as we've often said, that there is that many sketches that will make the best of. But I don't, actually, there, there might be a couple of things that really sort of tickled me in, a, in quite a fun way. Um, but I, I just more than anything, just excited to say. I think this is going to be a fun podcast because we we uh, we don't have to make hay out of nothing. We've got two. We've got really, uh, you know, three hours of solid comedy to draw from in these two episodes. Absolutely. Going into this, I would say that I probably overestimated Louis C.K. and underestimated Jimmy Fallon in that Louis C.K. is probably one of my favorite stand-up comics out there, if not one of the, my favorite in general stand-up comic. He's been on the show four times at this point. If anything, I think this episode showed just how comfortable he is performing. 
I think one of the things you could say in his first few times out are that, you know, Louis C.K. is a fantastic comic, but he's a little awkward when it comes to assimilating himself within the roles of the rest of the cast. But he proved this episode that he was very, very game to just throw himself in there and not just be the straight man, but be the crazy man as well. Jimmy Fallon. There's a very interesting opinion of Jimmy Fallon, especially among comedy diehards, that he's a little toothless, particularly in the talk show genre i mean i think yes. nowadays a lot of people are saying you know the we're looking to late night to really deliver hard-hitting political satire in the moment jimmy fallon just isn't going to bring that that's not what the late show is all about and as a result i think some people have equated you know jimmy fallon with a brand of soft comedy and lame comedy but i couldn't have said it better with what you said in your opening i think that jimmy fallon brought a lot of fun to it Depending on where you fall on your Jimmy Fallon opinion, you could say the show either succeeded in, on behalf of him or in spite of him. Either or, I'll let you have your cake and eat it too in that regard. Uh, going back to my always reliable SNL rankings list, actually, they ended up right next to each other. Uh, mm. Louis, C.K., Louis C.K. ended up at number six and Jimmy Fallon at number seven, uh, right below Kristen Stewart, who will have her own appearance in a way uh, in mm-hmm. one of these episodes. But I think... As you said, there were some really funny things. There were some things that didn't hit, but that's an episode of SNL. But I thought overall, maybe it's because of the caliber of the host. Maybe it's because they had, again, a few weeks off before jumping back into this material. There was not that much fatigue. But as you said, two very solid episodes of SNL. I'm so excited to be talking with you about them. Great. So let's set the shot clock back back to uh, April 8th, 2017, a week ago, Saturday night. Uh, we've got Louis C.K. and the Chainsmokers. Unsurprisingly, we open with uh, the return of Mr. Alec Baldwin as uh, as Donald Trump. Uh, he's down in Kentucky and he's talking to uh, he's talking to people about uh, what's going on and, and connecting with the people for the first of our two Trump cold opens. Um, you know, and I I love Alec Baldwin. I think he's really Really smart. Uh, I like that we're again not just sort of doing the recreation of a press conference or some other event. Um, but I do think that this is getting a little bit. I, I think he had some really solid jokes here, but I think that the sort of expectation of Alec Baldwin as Donald Trump, rather than the surprise of Alec Baldwin of Donald Trump, sets a different tone for the cold open. I don't know that this lived up to it. Um, but that said, I thought there was still a lot of fun here. And I do think that this impression, as I always say, brings the right energy to a cold open, even if maybe the jokes aren't as cutting, aren't as maybe as vicious as some other cold opens have been. So for me, uh, this was uh, one of the lesser memorable cold opens of the uh, Baldwin Trump cold opens, but still a lot of fun. I have a question for you, Rich. Do you think SNL is in a Trump rut? Because I'm going to pair this with the other cold open that we're going to be talking about like you said nothing really felt surprising to me here and that's not great considering that i think not speaking on on a partisan level at all here i believe that donald trump one way or the other has surprised a lot of people in various ways during the course of his first 100 days as president and so you have to wonder obviously it's it's a big rubik's cube to figure out how exactly you cover this in a new and fresh way every single time. But I'm wondering if SNL might want to try doing 
Trumpian things without actually featuring Trump himself. They've done it before. I think the Sean Spicer sketch that we've now going to be seeing three times was actually a great way of talking about Trump stuff without Trump. Even something like the Donald Trump dream sequence, how he views his world from the John Cena episode is another great thing they can do. Otherwise, I hate to say it, it's starting to get a little derivative for me. Not to say that this wasn't still a pretty solid sketch. Like you said, there was some fun lines here. Trump saying, you know, you're not people who whisper, oh God, what's happening when I leave the room? Uh, talking about coal in Trump's America, men work in two places, coal mines and Goldman Sachs. <laughs> I, love I loved his Hong Kong uh, talking about driving the truck. I thought that was just pure Alec Baldwin delight. But you have to keep wondering you know, are we experiencing some diminishing returns here? Granted, there's new stuff to cover every time. But like you said, I feel like the luster of the Trump impression is now starting to lose its shine a little bit. And I'm personally looking for new ways to cover this stuff without outright seeing the man himself. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think that, you know, it's hard that, you know, any impression is going to get a little bit old over time. I think you could even say that, you know, the Will Ferrell, George W. Bush after a while was always funny. But once we as the audience start to know the rhythms of the exaggerations and jokes that they are going to make, it's going to be harder to sort of deliver on that. Um, I think that, you know, probably and uh, in, in, this is getting to the next episode. I don't know that I would have done Trump twice in a row. I think that maybe. Yeah. Taking a break from him would build up a little bit more excitement. I think as we look at, we're going to come into three episodes to finish out the season. Uh, and, you know, the, now there's more and more Alec Baldwin is saying in sort of coded messages that I think his intention is to hang up the the Trump impression at the end of season 42. Um, but I would love to not see him uh, in the Chris Pine episode on May 6th and then maybe get to see, you know, open Melissa McCarthy with Trump talking to uh uh, Sean Spicer. I think that would be a wonderful sort of piece and then maybe see him again in Dwayne Johnson. So, um, yeah, I, I think we could sort of wrap that up. I also think where they're hurting themselves is that some of the other main characters around Donald Trump are not really fleshed out characters yet. So, mm -hmm. you know, as I said, Steve Bannon continues to be a one note joke. We're going to see he's just it's a visual gag that it's the angel of death of the Grim Reaper. And that's really it. Uh, we haven't really done a lot with Pence. You know, Putin is probably the one funny person and they can't really pair her him with uh, with um, Kellyanne Conway because she just hasn't been around that much. So I think you got to really build out the character world a little bit more. You know, we need to see, you know, Melania Trump show up. We need to see Ivanka Trump, which we really haven't seen. We got our first Jared Kushner last night, although, uh, you know, really didn't do much with it. So hopefully, and as I think was as they look to next year, I think maybe the answer will be a little world building to give, uh, you know, the Donald Trump, the Trump character more mm -hmm. to play off of so they don't have to do all the heavy lifting. That makes yeah. sense. So we'll, we will put another pin in that one. We're just putting pins all over the place. Uh, and Louis C.K. is about to put us on pins and needles with some of his more evocative jokes. Yeah, so Louis C.K. comes out for the cold open, does a monologue, another 10 minutes. I like that he really commits full out to sort of his monologue. This was a very interesting one for Genevieve and I because uh, we saw his live uh, show uh, here at the Dolby Theater in Los Angeles, from which his latest special, uh, his Netflix special, was cut mm. from. Uh, this material is, is almost all material that was cut from the live show that didn't make the Netflix special, so he used it here. Uh, so 
it was actually not new to us. We actually knew uh, most of the material, uh, starting with the racist chicken. I think the uh, the giraffe and the moose bit might have been new, but most of the rest of the stuff we knew, um, including the housekeeping bit. The housekeeping bit at the end was actually his encore in Los Angeles, and it actually did not connect very well in Los Angeles. I think he actually had prof- uh, really honed it since we saw him a few months ago. Um, I, I love that Louis C.K. starts with, I mean, granted the racist chicken stuff was was a little bit edgy but for the most part he sort of starts out pretty sort of a you know very standard comedian doing some chicken jokes giraffe jokes moose jokes uh you know and then sort of makes this turn to getting into sort of very uh you know raunchy and and uh and questionably tone wise stuff uh i loved it i thought this was a a great monologue one one of my favorites of his i think I know I said this at the end of the last podcast, but how lucky are we as SNL viewers that we've got Dave Chappelle, Aziz Ansari, and Louis C.K. doing stand-up monologues all on the same season of SNL? It's yep. an absolutely insane time to be able to watch SNL this season. I mean, yep. typical typical Louis C.K. starts out with this really out-of-left-field joke about why the chicken crossed the road to get away from a black guy. But then, again, in true Louis C.K. fashion, he walks it back and tries to explain his reasoning, and then he goes off onto this tangent about how, you know, the chicken was racist, I'm not racist, the chicken was. Chickens are probably racist because, you know, they think everyone's out to eat them. There's a 100% species murder rate for chickens. Hmm. So, again, he's able to, like, throw out little lines uh, that can initially anger people or really elicit some shocks, but then he's able to kind of reel it back. Let's remember that he really made headlines the last time he was on in 2015 because he had that ending joke of, you know, pedophiles, whatever they're pursuing must have been great because, you know, they, if they can get uh, punished for it so severely, they really must be after something that's very special. I don't know if he exactly towed that line. I think he actually went more so the, the asshole route than he did the creepy route, especially when talking about yes. the hotel stuff. He even admitted he's like, oh, I was excited to get angry with this uh, with this housekeeping company. And he's like, well, you know what? I have I have white privilege and it sucks that I have white privilege, but still I should. Why is this not? do? Why are they not doing this for me? It's again, this like very tongue in cheek way of saying things where I don't think he's saying things that are necessarily okay in the mainstream culture but he just has an affability and a way of saying and explaining things that almost makes it okay which again makes him one of my favorite comics out there so super strong monologue from louis ck four for four on snl yeah, great, great stuff. So uh, we've got the energy going. We the crowd's riled up. We get to our first, uh, our first live piece post monologue, which is the courtroom where uh, where Louis C.K. is is defending himself, uh, and he is uh, Mr. Douglas is uh, has these beautiful eyelashes which uh, capture the attention of everyone in the courtroom, from the judge to the to the uh, bailiff, uh, and a very silly 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 premise this feels like the kind of premise that would have been uh you know that would have been um you know come up with wednesday night at 5 a.m as people are sort of racing to you know to get their packets in for the for the table reader or maybe tuesday for the wednesday table read um and yet i thought that this was just executed very very well i thought that they did uh, a really nice job i thought it was super super silly uh, and yet uh, it sort of kept building. It kept twisting and turning. He did a very good job. It wasn't too over the top where it just got to be kind of boring. I thought in general, uh, this was just really fun. I thought that I, I, I thought this was an unmemorable, but a very pleasant and fun piece. 
Initially, I wondered why this was post-monologue, but I think looking at the other sketches, they were either maybe too meager or in some cases too creepy to put right after the monologue. So this is kind of something to settle the waters a little bit if anyone was upset with Louis C.K.'s monologue. I mentioned it before in our general breakdown, but I think Louis C.K.'s commitment is so great. And I feel like he's grown leaps and bounds as a live performer on SNL since his first appearance in, what was it, 2012, I think it was. Mm -hmm. So in in the past five years, I think he's become very, I don't know if he'd be able to do one of these sketches in 2012 to really anchor this and just essentially just go around and bat his eyelashes, which was so awkward for a man, especially like Louis C.K. to do that it made it extremely funny. The commitment with everyone else was really what made the sketch for me. I love Keenan as the judge. I, for some reason, the, the other connection I have with Keenan as the judge is if you remember the the Eli Manning emoji text conversation sketch, I'm, I think Keenan was the judge there too. And okay. I think he, I think he just does a great job of just you know being very understated and nuanced, which again is so strange considering I think a couple of years ago how much you and Rob were talking about how much Keenan was mugging for the camera. It doesn't yes. really seem like he does that anymore, which might just no, be... No, he really doesn't. I think he, he does sort of the indignant, uh, you know, he does quiet indignant so well. And I think this was a good example of it, even though he wasn't necessarily fully indignant uh, because he was enraptured. He was more indignant with <clears throat> the Vanessa Bayer character. Um, but yeah, I agree. I thought that he, I, you know, it, often, as we always say, I, I think that often it's the straight person in the sketch that anchors and makes the sketch as successful as it his if he was more over the top this would have gotten just sort of just broke uh and if he had been less sort of committed to it keenan uh it just sort of just played as just a, a weird guy wearing uh you know a false false eyelashes so i i think you're right i think he did you know he, he did such a nice job for me i would say uh I, one of the themes of these two shows is i think that pete davidson uh has certainly room to grow as a mm. performer and i did not feel that I would rather have seen someone else in this bit instead of Pete Davidson. Um, but, uh, but you know, I, but I would rather have seen that be Mikey day instead of Pete Davidson. Um, but, you know, but again, it's Vanessa Bayer who sort of anchors it. And is everyone crazy? Uh, I, I thought she did a wonderful job here. Really fun. Yeah. What I will say, and we'll see this, I think even the next couple of sketches with Pete Davidson, I think when everyone around him is acting very well, I think, it kind of shows that Pete Davidson is not a, a natural actor. And I do read that. I think he has room to grow. And I think if you can say one thing about this cast of SNL is that they're really a cast of performers. And I feel like even like back in the nineties, when you had like Sandler and Spade and Rob Schneider, those weren't really actors, you know, they felt more like right. comics than they did actors. This group really feels like, a bunch of theater kids who happen to come and do comedy as well. The performances and the acting, I know I constantly champion them. I'm going to keep championing them because we don't always come by this. These are fantastic actors and fantastic comedians. And unfortunately, poor Pete Davidson sticks out as a result. Leslie Jones has done a better job of grounding herself within everyone yes. else. But Pete Davidson is unfortunately the sore thumb. And you do see in this sketch, Leslie Jones has a small piece where she wasn't playing the character Leslie Jones, which I really appreciated. She was just a female bailiff who's sort of taken by his eyelashes. And we don't go to any of the 
quote unquote Leslie Jones go to pieces. And I and I really appreciate that. And and the last thing I say about this sketch, because I think it becomes a little bit of theme of a night is nice little button, nice little ending. Yeah. I think that this uh, actually the, these two episodes, but specifically this episode, just every sketch sort of has a nice end to it. It doesn't just sort of fizzle out. So just simply that there, I think there was actually a little technical glitch here um, in the in the fact that they didn't hit the maybe it's Maybelline uh, audio on the right cue where they needed it. But in general, just sort of a nice like at the end, just that idea that this was this whole thing was a commercial for Maybelline was just really nice. So really fun, fun piece. Yeah. Speaking of high production value, should we go into our first pre-tape of the night? Yeah. So, you know, we're doing a music video called Thank You, Scott, uh, really sort of making fun of the, you know, the uh, how little it takes to simply share an article on Facebook or, you know, uh, that that whole idea of sort of I think they call it slack vision, uh, slack division, uh, being a slackivist, which is hardly doing anything uh, in order to sort of whatever. Um, and I thought that this was a very well done take on something that I feel like I've seen many times times before and we didn't necessarily cover any new ground so this didn't feel fresh for me but but that aside you know i mean sometimes i watch repeats of saturday night live and i don't just go oh this isn't fresh i'm not watching this uh i did think that this was well executed for something that i don't know that i needed to see again yeah and you're right in that this doesn't necessarily feel like it's pertinent to now i feel like slacktivism has become a big thing over the past few months. I do have to give SNL credit again for, you know, the jabs that it's been taken as a liberal bias show and only a yes. liberal bias show. I do enjoy sketches like this and the dog one from the Scarlett Johansson episode and the bubble one from the post-election episode that is able to poke funds at both sides of the aisle as well as yes. saying like, Hey, you, you think you're doing good by putting black lives matter as your Twitter bio you're not really doing anything, but I also love the sarcasm behind it where, you know, thank you, Scott almost takes a really interesting, cruel hook to it of like, Oh yeah, thanks Scott. But again, the production value is so good on this, having the walls literally come down and all yes. these people coming in and dancing around Scott, Louis CK just sitting on the couch was a lot of fun. Again, like I've talked about many times, I feel like the music on SNL first and foremost is a good song. It's got very great yes. musicality. It's not the funniest song. There are some great lines in there. The one that I wrote down is you read things on the Internet, then you post them on the Internet, which is sort of like the thesis statement of the sketch. It's not uproariously funny, but it's just such a fun song to hear that you're almost swept up in it. No, I totally agree. I thought that, and and he does a very good job uh, of sort of, uh, you know, of being this sort of that guy who's sort of unapologetic about the whole thing. And, you know, and I and I will say as much as I don't know that it's necessarily a new idea, they, I, I, I kind of secretly do want to post the sketch on Facebook and tag one person that I'm friends with to sort of really kind of I know it would be a little crappy, but I kind of really want to send that message home to one quote unquote friend I have that really needs to watch this sketch and go dude you're scott you you need to process <laughs> this you're scott um but I, I like the end when he's just sitting on his couch and he goes 
you're welcome. I just thought that was a, a really, really nice sort of button to the piece. So, so, you know, again, great energy, fun, if not uh, breaking ground, certainly uh, a, a really nice comedy piece of writing. And then we come to a live sketch where we're sort of like, okay, where are we going here? We're going to the fifties uh, to a soda shop where uh, f- uh, four girls from high school are talking about going to the prom and uh, the soda jerk uh, Louis CK is going to ultimately uh, ask out one of the girls. And I thought this was a really nice piece of writing. I loved the build of this where it starts out that he's like, I could ask you if I wasn't so old, maybe I will ask you. And like, and then getting to the point of like, is sort of like, uh, you know, where it starts to get darker and darker. And it's like, you're a married man. And he's like, the next time I kiss my wife, will be at my funeral. And just like really sort of getting, you know, just darker and darker. Uh, everyone in it was good. I thought this was just a really solid piece of, of funny, silly live comedy. Yeah, so this is going to set off a theme of the episode and a lot of these live sketches, which is Louis C.K. being a creep. In this case, a bit of a sexual predator slash a little bit of a pedophile if these kids are underage. It's so, again, good on him for being able to really, you know, throw himself into those roles. It's a little interesting if you look outside of SNL itself in that I do believe Louis C.K. in the past couple of years might have been bridled with a reputation of being a little predatory. So, mm-hmm. I, again, if he's steering into the curve this in, on this one. I, I I would not be I would not do it. So he's a braver man than I am. But like you said, the performance in this is so good. Just I mean, Louis C.K.'s like very simple 50s affectations really make the sketch and how he heightens it to be like, all right, let's pretend we're on our date. Come on, sit in this booth with me. Uh, the, the four the four girls work great as straight men. Uh, I love, you know. Uh, him being like oh we're in a tunnel you can't get out and 80s like there's no tunnel on the way to the high school and such here just deadpans like he, he's not going to the high school i don't uh, think he's just, taking her school yeah very yeah, solid yeah so yes. so good yeah. and then again talking about great buttons you have this hook at the end first of all again pete davidson not the best actor his his nope. 1950s affectations were didn't even try i didn't even know he was trying so yeah i agree but I love yeah. this reveal that she's like that everyone knew when Leslie Jones comes in and it's revealed like, oh, you're going to the pervert shop. It seems like everybody knew that he's a predator. And so it's like, oh, yeah, I knew. I just purposely tease him because I want to, you know, I think she talks about like how she's into like BDSM and how she wants to have dominion over a man. Such a well, really and she crazy. Sa- and she says it in this really sweet way. She says like she says, I like knowing that I could get Sam in trouble for the things he says, but he says them anyway. It makes me feel powerful. It was just such a beautiful like, oh we're going there and it doesn't actually like it's not a meta tag of like oh what we're seeing isn't really what we're seeing it was just like oh no in the world of the 50s thing this is the crazy uh weird uh role playing that is going on here and i just thought it was a wonderful way to end mm-hmm. and then fantastic button at the end with louis ck trying to pull a fonzie and just bl- yes. bloodying his hand <laughs> on the jukebox yeah it was really good. And then from there, we go to this Pepsi commercial, sort of very topical, really taking on the uh, the Kendall Jenner Pepsi commercial. Uh, and, and I got to say, my big question about this commercial is why didn't they run this right after the monologue? I thought mm-hmm. this was such a winner. Uh, this could it could simply absolutely should have been switched with. Thank you, Scott. I don't quite know why they buried this. Maybe because Louis C.K. wasn't in it. I don't know. Uh, 
but I thought this was so well done. I had obviously seen the Kendall. I had only seen the Kendall, the Kendall Jenner Pepsi commercial because of the controversy. So I went back to see what it was that people were so upset about. Um, but I thought this was instead of uh, doing something broad or something sort of garish about it, this was such a subtle, like what happens when the director of the commercial calls his sister and sort of tell and excitedly explains the idea and then uh a very subtle take on oh no i think most of the uh, most of the punchlines of this sketch are just beck bennett going uh-huh 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 which i thought was really wonderful i thought this was absolute home run yeah i can't say enough i honestly feel like beck bennett is the strongest male actor on the show if not one of the strongest actors period on the show because as bob newhart can attest to it is very tough to maintain one end of a phone conversation and try to be have it be realistic in front of an audience and beck really tried to keep it grounded and you could just see his the subtleties in his face falling that first time was just so much fun to watch and it was a new take right it wasn't like They could have very much gone in a direction of like, well, now that we did this Pepsi commercial, now we're going to they now the same group did this other commercial. And this is how they right. did it in an equally offensive way. You took a look behind one person's unique perspective on it. And it just kept you know they were showing like, you know, the the Asian person with the violin and the the African-American break dancers. It was just so much fun revealing detail by detail. Then again, another killer button at the end with Kendall Kendall Jenner walking out, talking to someone on the phone. And it's clear the person does not have the same moral proclivities as the people that Beck was talking to as they wholeheartedly approve of it. So, again, really packaged sketch sketch of the night for me. Yeah, absolutely. Just really, really great piece, really great piece of business. Um, And then we then we go to our musical guest, the first song, uh, Paris from the Chainsmokers. Um, I feel wholly unequipped to say anything about the Chainsmokers. I thought it was good, not for me, but good. Uh, they seem like uh, very talented young men. I feel like I'm 80 years old, even referencing the Chainsmokers. Did you have any more opinion than I do, Mike? Yeah, so the Chainsmokers, I feel like they're very new to the radio scene. Um, the one there's one song that they do on the radio that I can't think of at the moment. So baby, hold me closer. That song is I feel like their big song nowadays, at least in terms of radio play. So I'm a little surprised that they didn't do it. But that being said, they did Paris and break up every night. Paris had some interesting set dressing. I will remark on that. All the, the neon signs lying around. I did like the lead singer's jacket. Uh, it was adorned with like a bunch of pieces of flair a la office space. Uh, <laughs> and things got a lot more simple and break up every night. I did notice they had an acoustic drum set and an electronic drum set as well. But I say overall, you know, I I think they're very popular artists nowadays, and I think they were pretty strong performers overall. I probably have a modicum more reason to talk about them than you do, but I'm still not qualified at all to talk about them. <laughs> Good for them. That's really how I would just leave it. It was great. to. Uh, uh, it seemed like they did a very solid job, and we can sort of leave it at that. Uh, and then we go to Weekend Update, which uh, I, I think was generally uh, pretty fun. I, you know, it being a week now, I don't really have a lot to comment on. Uh, but in general, I thought that uh, it was good energy and, uh, and and the two guys seem seem very strong here, maybe stronger than I've liked them before. Uh, I, I thought I thought it was a, so- a solid uh, return to Weekend Update. 
Yeah, so they had a few weeks off, so I think they had a lot of news to catch up on. So a couple things that I enjoyed, obviously they started off talking about the Syrian missiles. I liked, I think it was Colin's line, when Donald Trump is angry, he always presses send. Uh, there's yes. that fun little cut to of the Three Stooges footage to represent Trump, Putin, and Assad. Uh, some really, really biting jokes from Colin Jost here. I know that he's gotten into a little bit more of the shock humor risque territory in his tenure in the past couple of years but you know he's saying steve bannon got the demoted this time he can blame the jews uh he's talking <laughs> he, he gave out a bunch of jokes about like barry manilow being outed uh the woman uh, che gave that joke about the woman who fell off the bridge and no longer has a good side because she was taking a selfie uh there's yes. the rhino the rhino abortion joke was very <laughs> very risque but that being said if this is their style of humor and it's going to differentiate themselves from what came previously on weekend update i am entirely for it i'm whooping for them as much as that one girl hooted and hollered for the one manatee joke before Colin actually said it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I thought they did a nice a nice bit here. And then, by the way, I found out uh, via uh, a very obscure podcast that the head writer of Weekend Update was on that the, you know, we always uh, sort of call, you know, what do you call the, the people who come on, the correspondents? Apparently, in SNL parlance, it's called the features of Weekend hmm. Update. I did not know that. Uh, so we learn, so you're learning something every week here on the SNL podcast. Uh, so the first feature was the return of Cecilia Jimenez, who we uh, which was the woman who had painted the Jesus paint the fresco uh, many years ago. Uh, she was last seen almost two years ago to the day on the Tariq P. Henson uh, yeah, episode. I, I uh, think was she was she talking about the Lucy statue? Yes, then, the, the I love one? Lucy. Yeah, in New York City. Exactly. Um, and so, and I love this character, but I do wonder if there's really makes sense to go back to her again. Uh, I thought this was more energy than hilarity. Um, so I always love seeing Kate McKinnon and I love seeing, uh, uh, you know, I love seeing these sort of crazy characters that sort of, uh, you know, are not, um, Whatever. I don't know. I guess I'm sort of I'm tap dancing around the fact that I didn't love this. I definitely liked mm -hmm. it, but I definitely did not love it. Well, I think what you're trying to drill into is that, you know, at least Kate McKinnon isn't doing the neighbor character or doing Ruth Bader Ginsburg. At least she's trotting out something that's a couple of years old, because I think we're about to talk about in our next episode, maybe a couple of correspondents that, in your opinion, I'm assuming oh. might have come back a little too soon. Um, yeah. But I, I agree. I think this is Cecilia Jimenez energy was fun i think kate has a lot of fun playing her she's gonna be a woman of many accents tonight as i'm sure we're about yes. to talk about and there are fun little moments i mean i think it's just basically an excuse for kate to just rag on the appearance of this bus so i mean it's a good way to sort of bring her in as a as a as a conduit but i feel like you might not even need her sometimes you could bring in pete davidson the way he rags on the appearance of some political figures and essentially have him do the same thing but i think it was you know a nice connection and i think there was a nice tag at the end with cutting to the bus that she made of colin joe's which of course looks absolutely right. hideous so was it a strong one no it wasn't a home run i put it in maybe like a single in that like it was reliably solid you made it to first base without getting out at the same time it wasn't anything to write home about 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. But again, I I don't want to I don't want to uh bag on it too much. I absolutely enjoyed it. I mean, that's the thing. There's almost never a Kate McKinnon, I'll now say feature on Weekend Update that is not going to have me giggling, laughing, appreciating at least one joke if not more. Uh so uh so so good on them. I thought it was it was definitely, you know, at a minimum fun. Mhm. And then, uh, so we we leave Weekend Update. We come to a very sort of intriguing uh, sketch on a number of reasons. We, we're doing The Factor uh, with Bill O'Reilly. Uh, we don't talk about this that much. Bill O'Reilly is sort of an interesting enigma on Saturday Night Live that, in you know, Bill O'Reilly has been a huge um, factor, not to uh, make a pun, <laughs> uh, a huge presence in sort of the political and pop cultural landscape for many years. And SNL has never really cracked him. Um, you know, I think uh, Jason Sudeikis most recently played him uh, going way back. Uh, Daryl Hammond before that unsuccessfully. And actually one season cast member, a featured player, Jeff Richards, probably did one of the best ones. But they've never really had a solid Bill O'Reilly, which given what a big presence he's been in this election and many elections, it's always interesting that that they haven't cracked him. Here we have Alec Baldwin playing him and this sort of uh, to go back to my cold open of our last podcast really sort of puts a, 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 a highlight on what I was saying that we sort of have a star problem on SNL that we need to go to the, the, uh, the, the um, cameoed celebrity who's playing Donald Trump to play Bill O'Reilly. And I think he does a nice piece. I don't know that it was fantastic, but I think he does a nice piece, but uh, I would really have much rather seen Beck Bennett or I don't know, by even Bobby Moynihan or someone else take a run at this instead of seeing, uh, you know, another important political face go to a non-cast member. Uh, and then that really got highlighted when we want to see him interviewing Donald Trump and we have to do this pre-tape piece, which I, you know, having the two Alec Baldwins, which for my money personally, I just think never works very well. I just think the timing is never that strong when you're uh, when you're doing that. So, uh, so for me, this was an intriguing one, uh, and certainly a lot of fun bits in here. But uh, but it more sort of had me going uh, about the state of Saturday Night Live more than I was enjoying this piece. Yeah, and I'm sure next episode is actually I feel like the worst offender of really pushing the cast to the sidelines and saying like, here's the host and here's some celebrities because yeah, outside of this fantastic this like fun little thing you grab at of uh grab should not be the operative word concerning the nature of this case, right right but, where you grab towards of saying hey wouldn't it be fun if donald of uh if alec baldwin's playing two different characters and they were quote-unquote talking to each other but still that that did not make up for the sketch for me this was definitely the low point of the night just because it didn't feel like anything new or and i know that obviously the allegations as of recent were new so there's something like that but I feel like it was just one sort of, you know, predatory joke after another. There really wasn't anything sparkly in this sketch outside of the Donald Trump appearance, which you could argue, as you said, was a little stilted because it's a live person trying to get timing and repartee 
with someone who is pre-taped. So it's not, you know, Dana Carvey doing Ross Perot and George Bush in the 1992 election. Maybe it was the 98 election, the 88 election. Right. Uh, This is something completely different. There were some fun lines in there. And I did like Cecily's initial appearance as, you know, the one female correspondent, it seems, that will still talk to him. But between the sort of ooky dialogue and the fact that the Trump-O'Reilly pairings seem to throw things off, this was a miss for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, And I would say this wasn't by any means an, oh boy, it was just, it didn't quite connect in the way that I would like to have connected. Um, So I I think we're, we're all, we're probably all in, in uh, agreement here. So, uh, but then things for me really turn around when we go to another pre-tape piece of the birthday clown, a very short, concise three minute, very weird Louis CK, as you said, Louis as creepy guy, uh, 52 year old, uh, guy, birthday boy who hires a child's clown to show up for his birthday. Um, and as good as Louis CK was in this, I just loved everything about Bobby. I think this was pretty mm-hmm. much Bobby's only appearance in the show other than being the person who introduces Donald Trump in the cold open, uh, which is always a bummer for me. But this was a nice piece of business from from Bobby Moynihan. Um, I just I just thought everything, everything about this was just weird and creepy and really, really fun and never too over the top. They really walked the line of just bizarre and how crazy it was i I just really thought it was great so let's put aside the controversy that came outside of it which for those of you that do not know after the episode there were a lot of similarities between this sketch and a short film made by tignataro who's a comedian and actually good friend of louis called clown service and i think tignataro has even come out and said like yeah there are a lot of similarities between them Let's count out any possible sort of mimicry that might happen with outside sketches. I think, again, super grounded. I think playing a clown, you could go over the top with, oh, this guy's creepy and he's going to probably kill me. But like you said, Bobby was just so understated. In these next couple of episodes, Bobby's going to have sporadic appearances. But when he appears, he really hits every single time. Uh, So, I mean, like you said, as fun as again fun in quotation marks because again louis ck is playing a very creepy man who's going to ground up this clown and murder him (laughs) uh as much as as cool as louis ck was and just really being that sort of guy who's a little off i think bobby moynihan's performance as the clown and trying to commit to the performance but also kind of acknowledging that he's a 52 year old man then opening the door to see the other two performers and just says you don't want this and then shuts the door it was quick it was dirty emphasis on dirty in terms of the the weird stuff that was going on but still a fun sketch when louis hands him the money and is like do i tip you and he's (laughs) bobby's just like there's no protocol for whatever this is (laughs) it was so beautifully understated it was so perfect so uh and good to get out quick i thought that was the other thing i would say it's good that this was like i'm gonna you know chop you up into little pieces like yep that sounds about right like just okay get got it great move on so yeah really really fun stuff um, and then, uh, and then from here we go to a truly odd 
commercial uh, for sectional couches. I don't know if you can call it a commercial considering that it's revealed yeah. at the end that he's not even selling anything. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but I really thought this was really fun. I thought that this was a really good, uh, just weird kind of what you want to see late in the show kind of run about sectionals. It just gets odder and odder. There's no real point to it, and yet it does have a nice button at the end. Uh, just, just weird uh, where most people's couches and yours can bend and keep going i just thought it was just just really fun silly bizarre uh strangeness just uh just i just liked it a lot that was really good yeah this is why i always love 10 to 1 land on snl is because they really do experiments here and again louis ck wholly committed to it you have such strange lines peppered in like that is the first of many stories you're going to hear this is going to be long and he's saying like oh all these couches these are all made on earth it's just yeah. so like it's something you could you could expect out of like tim and eric or even yes. like what will, what will forte was doing during his tenure on the show yeah it's just yes a little off but it was so much fun to watch though mvp for the sketch for me might have been ad bryant because her just saying bigger it just had me in stitches and of course again gotta give it up to the i don't know this is the prop department or the scenery department whatever production element is behind this but the like the super long sectional couches is just a fantastic visual i absolutely love this obviously you take a huge risk when you go for something weird like this i'm so glad the audience was along with him for the ride Yes, no, I agree. So I thought this, I, I, to me, I thought, oh, this is sort of like the, the perfect tenda, you know, sort of, you know, uh, late night sketch. But then we get to the Tenement Museum tour, which was just so fun. I, everything about this made me laugh. I mean, I was laughing on multiple levels. You know, a, a school group. I don't know if Keenan was supposed to be part of the school group or not. It was unclear. No, he was, he was wearing uh, like a hockey jersey, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was it was a little unclear what was going on there. Clearly, he's also older than the person playing the tour guide and the teacher. Uh, but, you know, but they come to see this tenement and it's this uh, this Polish uh, group from 1913, uh, the Polish family. And uh, and they really just start making fun of Italian people in a, in really the most uh, inappropriate ways. This was fun on every level. The whole premise was ridiculous. The fact that they were just, you know, the idea of the overt racism of Italians which we can say on tv because now it's okay to make fun of italians i guess uh and then the fact that louis ck couldn't commit to an accent (laughs) and so started with some vague slavic accent that kind of quickly devolved into borat and that was making cecily strong i'm sorry uh kate mckinnon laugh uh which just it just was just and then the and then the level of uh racism just continued to expand uh, and get more more worse i just so everything about this i thought was fun this was really great yeah louis accent started off like balky from perfect strangers then ended up in that borat territory but i mean if you can make kate mckinnon laugh which remember that this is the same woman who when she plays that character barb always keeps people in stitches but always maintains a straight face she's one of those people that is always able to really you know remain resolute in times of crisis considering the fact that she's busting up and louis has to like grab her hand and shake it almost as if to say it's okay we're going to get to this somehow makes it a lot of fun i probably like the sketch less than you did i thought the italian hating game while fun was a little obtuse and a little shallow and the fact that they widened it 
while it did have a certain element of fun to it, it got a little offensive. I don't know how I feel about the whole chocolate face thing. That might have oh crossed a little bit of a line. I know this is, a, you know, it's a, I think it's almost 80 years ago at this point. But the fact is they were having so much fun with it. I think this, that's a great microcosm of what Louis C.K. brought to the show, which was like, absurdity but a certain amount of giggliness to it as well which again i cannot say enough you would not get this out of louis ck when he first came on to snl five years ago he was known as sort of the awkward very blunt comedian but in his time on snl he's grown to be a pretty good sketch performer but he's he's done acting before you know he's been in films by both woody allen and david o russell since Mm -hmm. 2012 but i think i'm here to applaud louis the sketch performer here because i feel like he had so much fun in these sketches he went whole hog on each and every character that he played no matter how creepy they may be and it really showed yeah no i agree i thought he committed to this and even when he couldn't commit to the uh uh, to the accent because I do not think that he was intentionally blowing the accent I think he literally just couldn't do it because that's not who he is still so much fun in him trying to continue to power through so yeah I agree with you really nice sort of microcosm of uh, of his hosting so uh, you know interesting uh, so that was the show the good nights uh, we get uh, you know our sort of in the bumper our moment of silence for Don Rickles who hosted the show in 1984 in a non Lauren year, the sort of infamous Murphy Piscopo year of uh, SNL, and then uh, and then a nice little shout out from uh, Louis C.K. about it, uh, and sort of nice, I would say, you know, sort of watching the Good Nights. A couple of odd things. It didn't seem to be a lot of warmth between Louis and the main cast members. I don't think there was any coldness, but I didn't see any warmth, which I thought was a little bit surprising. Also odd in the credits that they were there was no call outs to any of the directing of the pre-taped segments i assume that was just hmm. an innocent mistake but uh so, but but they always do so but uh overall a very solid episode really uh i thought i thought a nice uh, a nice 90 minutes of of comedy started started pretty strong and ended pretty strong and, uh, and a lot of laughs along the way absolutely i may have to retroactively bump it up now that you know we've talked about it but i agree louis ck proves that no matter what year or venue he's coming in on he's going to bring a lot of humor whether that's a product of him or the sketches i'm not entirely sure but still a very fun episode and we're about to move into an episode that emphasizes on fun because jimmy fallon if anything as you mentioned is a guy who brings the fun as he quite literally brought a party in on his monologue yeah exactly exactly so going back to last night uh i gotta say going into this episode i made a lot of very grand uh predictions to jen uh and just to show you what a savant i am at saturday night live i predicted uh that we would not see alec baldwin i predicted <laughs> that we would see uh, a a sketch an alumni style sketch of one of jimmy fallon's classic characters in the cold open uh i predicted that we would see um justin timberlake uh uh, as part of as part of the episode. So I really went over three of my grand predictions and we start out with Donald Trump in the cold open uh, again. Uh, and uh, again, I, I would say this was another as you know, we, we don't really have to cover it too much because we should have covered it on the first cold open. Uh, some really fun stuff here, but I don't know that uh, it was necessarily hilarious. Uh, I think that the interesting twist was uh, finally SNL uh, uh, sort of introducing the Jared Kushner 
introduction or character to the show, which we have not seen previously. And it's going to be our guest host and SNL alumni, Jimmy Fallon, uh, again, sort of further emphasizing the problem we have that we we're not giving this to uh, an SNL, uh, you know, cast member. We're giving this to a uh, to the host. But that said, I think Jimmy Fallon really shows what a star he is here by design. He has no lines. And yet as sort of the coy and cute Jared Kushner, I think he absolutely steals the show. I think that he 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 steals all our attention. He's wonderful in it. Uh, and he sort of has that X factor that unfortunately, I think that many of our current cast members just don't have. Um, I would like to see Mikey Day take a run at this character. I think he could do something really fun with it. But this was really fun. It turns into an Apprentice episode, um, which was cute enough, but it wasn't exactly quite Apprentice. So it was a little hard for me to kind of go, where are we landing on this? Um, but but overall, I would say definitely a fun start to the show. So a couple things in that. I think that the Jared Kushner was fun and I love the take on it. And they even, you know, underline it by saying, oh, Jared, you know, you don't really talk to anybody ever. I think that, you know, Jimmy Fallon is not exactly a very subtle performer. He's definitely in that category that I described before of more of a comic than an actor. So, I mean, if you put a Justin Bieber on wig on him, for example, that's exactly his Justin Bieber impression, too. So (laughs) I think I think it was still fun, though. And I, I liked the way that they tackled, you know, Bannon being demoted. I feel like the sketch really started when Jared Kushner came in. I don't know if we needed, you know, they threw in a few lines in the beginning about like, oh, what did I get accomplished in 100 days? Okay, I confirm Neil Gorsuch and that's it. You know, I feel like those are typical Trump jokes that don't need to to necessarily come in at the beginning. I kind of want to just cut to the chase. I was confused as well as an avid reality TV show watcher. I wasn't sure if this was The Apprentice or if this was The Bachelor or if this was America's Next Top Model. Top Model, right. Yes. I'm not I'm not I'm not entirely sure what they were going for, but I I enjoyed that it was a different take on it. I guess if we're bereaving the Steve Bannon caricature right now, we sort of bereaved him before, I think, during the Alec Baldwin hosted episode proper. But, you know, it was a fun one time joke. But I think once they realized the logistics of it, of, you know, having I think it was Mikey Day behind the skull mask, having to use a voice modifier, it wasn't really working from a vocal perspective. I was actually wondering, you know. If, if Steve Bannon was going to talk at all in this sketch. So when he did, I was a little disappointed because it would be fun to just have the two of them completely silent and have Trump talk the entire time. But you right. know, now the landscape is changing a little bit. We'll see if Fallon appears as Kushner again or if he's just going to go mentioned in abstentia or if they're actually going to bring in a cast member to do it. But yeah, this is again what I talked about before. Even though it was a new take on Trumpian events, we're sort of hitting a little bit of a Trump rut where I want to get Alec Baldwin away from the Oval Office desk a little bit and I want to see how the show handles talking about Trump without him being in the room. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, uh, so we go from our cold open with the two of them to, uh, to the, uh, the monologue, the, the, which was not a monologue. Interesting. And I, I had to go back and watch it a second time to confirm. He doesn't even make a single joke in this monologue. He no. just sort of sets up how excited he is to be there, how he wants us to be a party. 
And then he breaks out into the 1983 David Bowie song, Let's Dance, for a big, big dance number, where we find out that the entire uh, member of the first floor studio audience is actually paid dancers. And we're going to begin an elaborate dance number of what I would consider um, personally my least favorite David Bowie song in the history of David Bowie, Let's Dance, uh, which was uh, interesting. I, you know, again, it, 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 it served the purpose purpose of bringing great energy to the show um even if i uh was not necessarily a fan of the song and wish that there was a little bit more comedy woven into it it definitely got the party started can you remember a jimmy fallon monologue when he hosted and i believe this is only the third time that he's hosted but yeah. i can't think of one that was actually funny the other one that sticks out besides this one was when he hosted in winter of 2014 i want to say or maybe 2013 uh when he did the christmas song christmas da, 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 and he did the same thing of going through the halls it wasn't really funny then which again will show that jimmy fallon is not exactly a laugh out loud type of comedian i think as you again i'm going to keep repeating what you said in your opening monologue he's he's the guy that you're going to have fun with he's going to provide at high energy and have a good time so i think people were angry that it wasn't necessarily a comedic monologue especially coming off of louis ck's fantastic stand-up the week before but this is fallon like it or like it or hate it or love it this is essentially jimmy fallon and it kept the energy up i'm always happy like you when they break outside the norm i'm happy jimmy didn't sing a song or take questions from the audience or what have you that he's able to say yeah i'm just gonna dance with a bunch of people through the halls of 8h and occasionally with the cast members who appear for all of like four seconds I think yes. it it was it was very high energy. And like you said, I think it's a good representation of the fact that this is a big celebration, that it was going live entirely on all coasts for the first time. Now, I do want to ask you, since you brought it up in your opening monologue, obviously, this is a different show than what we had the week before. But ha did anything change for you in terms of your temperament in receiving the show between watching it at 830 and watching it at 1130? Were, are you, if you're more tired, are you more receptive cer to certain jokes? Are you less receptive? What do you think? You know, it's always hard to say because I, I, you know, I would say for me, I've always, you know, there is certainly the um, way if we're watching it live at 1130 and, uh, you know, the 1130 to weekend update never really changes. I would say from weekend update to the end of the show, it's very different if you're really tired and you're kind of powering through some of the weirder sketches can just sometimes feel like, oh, come on, where if you're not so tired tired you can sort of relish in sort of their weirdness you know i've always said the bigger thing for me is not whether i watch it at 8 30 11 30 it's whether i watch it at 11 30 p.m or whether i watch it at 11 30 a.m on sunday morning if there's mm -hmm. times that we're out on a saturday night that's i think the most major change so so for me no there there, there was not a big difference other than the excitement obviously you know there's still enough of a delay that if something horrible happens it's going to get cut but there is something nice about being a little bit on Twitter, uh, you know, being able to have social media open and knowing that I'm sort of part of uh, I'm not sort of the, you know, the the uh, the also ran experience. I thought it was in general fun. Um, 
I was also going to say, by the way, just a little shout out to uh, he and I'm sure this was a Jimmy Fallon thing. He had um, um, uh, guitarist Niall Rogers uh, performing with him on stage, uh, playing the guitar for Less Dance. Uh, and if you are a Bowie nerd, you might know the significance of this. Niall Rogers back in 1980, something actually produced the album and the song Less Dance for David Bowie. So it was a a true connection to the song and to David Bowie instead of just having a guitar alumni on the show um and then wow it was, uh, it was almost it, like we were going through a time machine yes exactly it was almost like we were going back to the 80s uh and uh and also come on did we really need to see harry styles dancing in this number i mean basically I mean, harry we're gonna be styles, seeing harry styles it's yeah. like he was like an unofficial co-host for this episode right harry styles was in the he monologue was, in like two sketches yeah, he was absolutely auditioning to guest host Saturday Night Live unapologetically. And by the way, good for you. Like, I mean, I would do the same thing if I was in his situation. But I thought it was he was unapologetically auditioning and having a lot of fun doing it. Uh, but I, I didn't need to see him in this piece, especially since he he the singer of the episode did not actually sing the song. So it it felt very odd to me. That said, very fun, good energy. We go to commercial during the uh, the during the bumper or the pod buster. We see uh, the back of Lord Michael standing on the family feud set. So we know we're going to the feud, which, again, I always enjoy. This time we're doing family feud time travel edition, which at first I was like, have have we officially run out of ways to do Saturday uh, to do uh, family feud on SNL? Um, but I thought that this was a fun way to bring to do some characters characters that we uh couldn't normally see and uh and and some real fun stuff from jimmy fallon so uh as always i say as much as we would like to say the 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 family feud lives and dies by the impressions of the week i disagree i always say it lives and dies by the lines that they give keenan thompson as um uh as steve harvey and i thought this was a lot of fun uh and, and overall i thought that the this generally was of the more recent family feuds, because it's been stale for a little bit, uh, this was my favorite. I thought they, they did a really nice job with this. Yeah, I think the last family feud might have been right before the Super Bowl. I want to say that might it have was, been. The Christmas yeah, it was Kristen. It, it was very odd in that in the last time they did family feud was Kristen Stewart. And on this one, they're making fun of Kristen Stewart. On the Kristen Stewart episode of Family, they made fun Feud, of Casey Affleck. They made fun of Casey Affleck, who had just hosted the show. So it feels like there's a very weird meta thing going on, which is which is very odd. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know if we're going to have a Jimmy Fallon impression next because I know Justin Timberlake did Jimmy Fallon the last time they were on the show during Family Feud, so maybe that would just bring things full circle. Time and time travel is a flat circle, according to Matthew McConaughey in True Detective. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, uh, while you will say that Steve Harvey makes the sketch, to me, I think the star of this sketch was Jimmy Fallon because he did something that, again, while it might not have been laugh out loud uproarious, I think it was a great indicator of how exciting live television can be and how exciting it is that other coasts get to experience this live in the moment like the East Coast does because you have this feat of live television of Jimmy Fallon yes. running back and forth between being the two John Travolta's, which, you know, while the impressions were not great, I think 1977 John Travolta said the word Sandy at least 
10 times <laughs> in the course yeah. of his maybe four lines. I think that the pure feat of doing it was was just so much fun to see to the point of where, you know, I like actually kind of seeing the string show a couple times. Like you see that one blur of Jimmy Fallon run in front of the camera as he's yeah. dashing back and forth. And I'd love, you know, Steve Harvey purposely vamping to make sure yes. that he's to the so podium in time. Yes. A, a couple of other quick highlights. Uh, the 2017 people largely got ignored, but you had to give a huge shout out to Kate McKinnon as Kristen Stewart. You know, it, it, for someone who had only just been on a few months ago, Kate really took on her mannerisms very well. I don't know how we're ever going to see more Kristen Stewart impressions on the show without that being shoehorn, shoehorned in. But Kate really knocked it out of the park there. Cecily Strong is Liza Minnelli. Liza Minnelli could be an, a, an easy impression to do somewhat considering how, especially back in the day, she was a little off the deep end, but it's always such a fun impression to do. So she's a maid. got to give her some snaps for doing Diana Ross as well. And at least for making the character a little more interesting, because I believe some other Sashir impressions were a little more milk yes. toast. This was better for Sashir. I, I love the Liza. I thought it was very fun. Great energy. Again, not that it's the hardest impression to do, but she looked like her. She acted. She sounded like her. It was really fun. I got to say, I feel like the underrated MVP because she only had two lines. I thought Melissa Villasenor as Gwen Stefani was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a great impression. I thought it was a funny impression. Uh, I thought it would, captured her well. And then Steve Harvey's like, I don't know if you're trying to be black or Asian. I thought it was just very funny. So I thought uh, she gives a shout out. And again, I don't mean to be taking a dump on on Pete Davidson this episode because you know I like Pete when he's great. But that David Plain, it wasn't an impression. It was just like wear this shirt and stand there and be you because it was so what a bad. Um, and then also we gotta we gotta call out Harry Styles uh, uh, chewing the scenery. Yeah. As Mick Jagger, um, just uh, it was uh, it, it was fun to see him do it. Um, but uh, as uh, as friend of the show, Mark, uh, Mark C and I were talking about last night, it just reminded both of us of how much better Jimmy Fallon's Mick Jagger impression used to be on Saturday Night Live, where this was just sort of this weird thing that he was doing uh which was which was odd and bizarre so uh and it wasn't bad by the way it was and it wasn't not fun it was absolutely fun and it was in the spirit of we're at a party and we're watching a successful boy band singer do a very sort of silly and over-the-top impression of Mick Jagger but uh but but very silly yeah time Um, time really is a flat circle maybe we'll get one sketch where Harry Styles is looking in a mirror in a dressing room at Jimmy Fallon playing Mick Jagger and they do the pointing their fingers song. Then it truly gets passed over to the next person. Well, and if you really want to get full circle, as Mark and Stephanie reminded me last night, that on uh, the last time Jimmy Fallon hosted, he did Harry Styles in a pre-tape piece. Oh, so yeah. he did a he. So they, now you've got a true full circle of of all those guys. But I certainly agree with you that the the party trick of the night was the John Travolta impression. It, it, you're right. Neither was good. Or I shouldn't say that. That's not fair. Neither was fantastic. But to see them back to back was so great to see how different this person has changed in the last 30 years uh, or 40, you know, over that time. Uh, And just to see the party trick, including, as you said, Keenan vamping and watching everybody. It's just, it was just, that was just so fun. It really sort of kept the party going, which I thought was great. Yeah. It really showed the energy of a live production, which segues 
nicely into uh, the interesting energy that can come with other live productions. Yeah, so this is a Dave McCarry directed before the show where we get to see a middle school's production of Legally Blonde in the state of Kansas. Uh, this really reminded me a lot. Do you remember in the Halloween episode uh, when all the women got together and they Crucible did a piece Cast called Party, A Girl's? Yeah. yeah, no, I wasn't oh. even thinking of that. But I think you're right. I was thinking of A Girl's Halloween, which was the the, the ladies yes. all sitting around talking about how great the night was going to be. And then and intercutting with how bad the night was. So the structure of it for me really sort of reminded me of, of, of that. Um, but, but overall, and I don't say that in a, in a bad way. I thought it was, uh, I just thought it was all really fun. I thought this was a, a very, I like that, you know, sometimes we get a very female sensibility to the show and I thought that they did a, a, a very good job in general and just, just in general, uh, you know, a lot of fun, uh, you know, you know, uh, high school theater production jokes that for me absolutely landed across the board. Rich, it was like NBC mind my dreams and look back <laughs> into my personal history. When, when I was blue in college, I would just watch a thread that I found on broadwayworld.com called bad high school productions and how much joy I got out of watching bad singers, bad production elements or overall just bad live theater I never say, you know, the phrase I cannot, but that's in my notes in all caps. I was cackling. My wife can can contest to this. I was just guffawing, laughing my ass off watching this sketch because it was everything I love in terms of comedy. I think the Halloween sketch is a fantastic comparison because it's that ironic moment, right? It's them saying, oh, this is yes. all going to go really well. Cut to it not going well. Just the first time they were with the, the singing and the, the milling around the stage and the horrible choreography and the dead eyed stares. It was uh, I'm, I'm just like literally smiling from cheek to cheek just thinking about it. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea. I know it's been a statement of SNL in recent years that, you know, oh, it's too theatrically built. That's the downside of really bringing in a group of people that are actors first and foremost. But this really spoke near and dear to my heart. So that's why I was head over heels in love with this sketch uh, unlike heels overhead which is what happened after those wires got pulled which again oh. was a hilarious physicality so and funny. kept 80 bryant screaming that she got her period for the first time oh. that, when i finished this episode that was the one that i immediately wanted to rewatch. again those are my proclivities but they're my proclivities i love this sketch and for me, the shout out, the detail that just killed me was not even during Kate McKinnon's solo, but when the first when they're singing, when it's Vanessa Bayer and I think Cecily Strong are singing, the fact that the spotlight isn't exactly on their faces yeah. just killed me. I was like, oh, my God, this is so fantastic. Uh, and 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 of course, the, uh, you know, the enthusiasm that they have when they're asking about, you know, can middle school productions win Tonys? I just was like. <laughs> Oh, that is so fantastic. So uh, I will actually say this was not even my favorite pre-tape of the night, mm. but still very fun. I thought this was really fun. And speaking of a uh, weird singing voices, I feel like this is yes. another theme of the night considering our next sketch. 
Yeah. So, you know, continuing Jimmy Fallon singing through most of the episode, this uh, take me back sketch where uh, where Cecily Strong is on a date with Beck Bennett, but she's inter- uh, she's interrupted by her ex-boyfriend who wants her back. Uh, and he's going to do a weird boy band uh, version of Savage Gardens, Truly Madly Deeply, uh, and uh, which just gets weirder and weirder. He's got a weird voice. His friends are weird. This is one of those sketches where it starts off okay we get the setup it's very cute with jimmy fallon shows up and i'm like okay i'm i'm liking this sketch but there's a part of my brain that is just waiting for this sketch to break badly i'm waiting for this thing to just go into the toilet and yet it just never did it just stayed funny and then such a wonderful button that the thing that he did this horrible thing was that he dragged a guy off the plane was so perfect and i just thought i couldn't i didn't see that coming so many times we see the jokes coming down sixth avenue and making a right into rockefeller center i didn't see this coming from a mile away and it was just so funny and such and short and clean everything about it i thought was really funny yeah the length is a great statement because for a sketch that's so in the middle of the show i mean it's only two sketches before we get to the musical guest you would think that it would be dragged out a little bit that you know the 10 to 1 sketches are the ones that like are sort of half ideas that only take a couple of minutes but this one was so short and sweet because it was so clean and then even on top of that you talk about the united reveal cicely strong goes back to beck bennett and beck's like oh yeah i was the director of that pepsi commercial I have no idea if this is continuity with the sketch that we lavish praise upon from the Louis yep. C.K. episode. If it is, huge kudos to SNL oh, for being able was. to connect those two weeks. It was, because I went back to check, because I realized Beck Bennett, the character in this sketch, has the same hair as mm. when he was playing the director in the pre-tape sketch a week earlier. So they absolutely added that piece, which I thought was just beautiful yeah so i love almost the reveal on top of the reveal i think it's interesting that like the united controversy was only addressed really once in this one environment maybe you know colin joe's talked about it briefly on weekend update but otherwise it was pretty much left alone which was surprising considering i think the internet definitely made a meal out of it in the first half of this week but that being said if they had to use it only once what a way to do it i would agree i was definitely you know, along for the ride, but a little weirded out with Jimmy Fallon's really strange singing and the backup dancers, but then it takes a turn and then another turn. Just such a fun ride. Yeah, no, it was really just really fun. So I just thought they did such a nice job with this. This was really fun. Uh, and then from there, again, just to sort of another strange fun, we get what feels like a cold open packed in the middle of the show, an Easter message, and it's our friend Melissa McCarthy, who's hosting in two episodes back again as Sean Spicer. Um, and again, I should say, I should actually pred- say that there were four predictions I had that I was wrong about. Jen's said they're absolutely going to have Melissa McCarthy because Spicer truly stepped in it this week. They can't wait three weeks to make fun of him. And I said, no, there's no way that Melissa McCarthy is going to be on because she's uh, she's hosting in a couple of weeks. And I was wrong. She shows up as the Easter Bunny uh, to do sort of her third run of uh, Sean Spicer pieces. Uh, and I, I've got a lot to say about this, but I don't want to go too far because I want to hear what you have to say, Mike. Uh, but I will say on first viewing, 
my major takeaway was there was a technical thing that I thought was very interesting about it. It's sort of inside baseball, but also I thought the least funny of the three, but then on second viewing, once I knew it was the least viewing of the three, Jen and I were surprised at how many jokes we thought were very, very funny. And as always beautifully done by Melissa McCarthy. I'm actually going to disagree. This was not the least funny for me of the three. Maybe it's because I I don't want to disparage the second, but I mean, it came the week after Melissa blew the walls off of 8H with that initial sketch. And so there were definitely diminishing returns. And there you felt like they were just saying the same jokes, hitting the same beats. Here I have to admire them for, you know, they literally moved it. They moved it outside to the White House lawn. There was no press, though. From what I hear, there might have been, you know, it might have been a pre-tape, actually, from what I hear, that Melissa McCarthy might not have been able to make it to 8H. I don't remember if she was in The Good Nights or not, but there's rumor that it might have been a pre-tape that the audience just watched, which is why there were no press there. But so there was no questioning of the press. You know, she drove the egg car, but she didn't drive the, the podium. She didn't spray people with water or blow them with leaf blowers. She did use the props, but they were like really weird veggie tail props <laughs> so yes. it was like an, another interesting take i thought there were a lot of fun jokes here and again a really fun tie-in in that you know people might laugh oh yeah sean spicer in the easter bunny costume but people might not realize sean spicer was in the easter bunny costume under george w bush in the beginning yes. of his term so it's, i think it was just a really great connection that they were able to make so live or not I really enjoyed this, and I like the fact that they actually went outside the setting of the previous two at least a little bit. And hopefully that means that once she comes back in a couple weeks, we'll see Spicer do some other things that's outside of the press room. Yeah. And so you're right about what, you know, it's funny. We were watching it, and I at first, the fact that Sean Spicer was not in, or I should say, Melissa McCarthy was not interacting with any other cast members made me go, something's weird here. Like, you don't, she's so good with them. You don't have her on her own if you don't have to. And I also noticed that she wasn't really reacting to the energy of the laughter the way that she normally mm-hmm. does. So I had a hunch of that you know what i don't think melissa i think this was pre-taped in los angeles because it didn't even feel like an snl sketch and what's interesting is then this morning i saw melissa mccarthy posted this and tagged it one of her hashtags was live from la so i suspect maybe she actually did do it live on the west coast just for the sake of doing it live uh, you know for the just for sort of the in the spirit of the thing but yes uh clearly she was not there so uh so that i think for me that gave it a bit of a weird kind of energy to the whole thing it also didn't feel like it was shot the way that the snl crew cameramen would shoot it so it took me out a little bit but that's because i'm a huge nerd (laughs) um but yeah i thought uh, when she couldn't remember the syrian leader's name and she referred to him as bazooka felicia ahmad rashad (laughs) jen and i fell out of our chair that was so great and then when he's I, when he's explaining that he, of course, they're not Holocaust centers. I know that they're not. They're concentration clubs. I thought that was very funny. Uh, just so much. So a lot of really good lines here. It's just more than anything. It made me excited to see her come back and host. Absolutely. Uh, hey, fool me once. Shame on me. Fool me twice. Shame on Jews. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. Uh, so it was great to have her back and great that she got to sort of touch on that. And then we get to Harry Styles uh, again. 
What do I know about Harry Styles? I'll say this. I actually kind of liked both of the songs. Mm -hmm. I expected to not. I am not going to pretend to be a a One Direction fan. Uh, One of the things that Mark in New York called out to me is that the lighting behind him was almost exactly like uh, the Queen Live Killers stage show with this sort of bank of of lights and sections. Sent me a photo to prove it, which was very fun. Uh, But I thought this was a, a good song. I was like, oh, this is going to be a hit. This is we're going to be here on this all summer long because this was I thought he did very nice, a very nice job sort of across the board with. Uh, and I think that the second song, I think he was actually premiering for the first yeah. time. I don't think uh, I think um, what was the uh, so he performed sign of the sign of the times and ever since New York. Those were the two songs. Right. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I thought I thought he did a good job. Uh, and, yeah, you know, I, I'm, I suspect that uh, we will see him guest hosting in the next few seasons. I bet he's back as a guest host. I was about to say the exact same thing coming on. I'm going to put in a bold prediction. Maybe I'll have as much of a success rate as you did coming into this show that I think Harry Styles is going to host the show before or on 2019. That's what I personally yeah. think right now, because I think he has yeah. he has the career path right now of like the Drake, the Justin Bieber of like he's showed his chops a little bit. Granted, it wasn't amazingly strong, but he showed that he can at least hold his own somewhat in the sketches, especially on his own. I know he appeared previously with One Direction. I think it was in a girlfriend's talk show sketch a little while ago. I agree. My notes actually said I'm surprised with how much I like it. Uh, my yeah. wife called him the Paul McCartney of One Direction. And if that comparison actually holds, I think that does make sense. And that I liked his songwriting. I think the vocals were very powerful. The second song, I don't know if it was pre-recorded, like the background mixing, but it was so well done, especially considering how much of a cavern hellhole in terms of audio 8H yes. can be. And so so yes. outside of the sketches, two thumbs up on Harry Styles. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, so let's get to weekend update. I thought, you know, when referring to the jokes, a lot of funny, a lot of good stuff here. Uh, for the first time in a long time, a first time is probably not fair to say, but uh, but I will say for the first time in a long time, I thought Michael Che not only had a very funny joke, he's had many very funny jokes, but I thought it was sort of the perfect Michael Che joke that I would say only Michael Che could have delivered on weekend update, uh, which sort of sort of got sort of perked me up to go, oh, I think maybe this is going to be ultimately the voice um, when he's showing the clip of, of Donald Trump talking about uh, that, you know, they ate one of the most beautiful pieces of chocolate cake you've ever seen. When Shay was like, first of all, you don't know what kind of cakes I've seen. <laughs> I thought it was so perfect. And I, to me, I thought, oh, I'm the only person who found that funny. And then Twitter was covered in those comments. Uh, everyone loved it because there was something very specifically Che about it. It wasn't just overtly mean. It wasn't low key, but it also wasn't big. It was just really, uh, just just really well done. And and he had a couple of really funny lines as they both did. Uh, I thought the jokes in general were were just very funny. Yeah, I'll point to a couple of other moments where Colin Jost was towing the line here. Uh, he went on, you know, that whole I forget he went on a tear about something, but he finished saying, you know, Fox spent $13 million just to get rid of five women, which oh, elicited a great. huge reaction from the audience, especially this was definitely much better than the 
uh, O'Reilly Factor sketch from the previous week in terms of O'Reilly-based humor. This one line knocked that entire sketch out of oh, the water. Yeah. Especially because you didn't see it coming because he's talking about the $16 million bomb that took out 94 mm. members of ISIS. And then and then he says, you know, well, you know, Fox News you know, spent $13 million just to get rid of five women. I thought, oh, gorgeous. So good. Yeah. Such a good joke. It was really and- great. Another one is he and I also love the moments where Colin just like knows what's going to happen and almost regrets having to say it, particularly the runner with the 13 pound Australian baby jokes. uh, I thought were just again, I know some people don't exactly, you know, hashtag fire Colin Jost, but I like his affability. The fact that he's like, these are really bad jokes, just offensive jokes, but I'm going to say them anyway. And this was not offensive, but I loved, you know, the the run that they went on about Ben Carson getting stuck in the elevator. And then Colin saying it was worse than that time he got stuck on an escalator and just cuts to Ben Carson standing on a bunch of stairs. I oh. The visual card just killed me there. So I would say Che and Jost were definitely the highlight of update as compared to the other as we now call them features uh, uh well i thought we were going to hit the low point when we saw jacob the bar mitzvah boy because uh, why why now odd the last time we saw jacob the bar mitzvah boy was on the same show that we saw celia jimenez which was the tarij p henson episode two years ago when we found out that jacob the bar mitzvah boy's uh father was played by billy crystal mm-hmm. um you know this is i don't know why we need to see this again there's nothing new about it. I will say, at least because we haven't seen it in two years, it did. At least there was some funniness to it uh, in this version. What we were really leaning into more than the sort of specific format of Jacob was the fact that Colin, uh, that Michael Che is going to try to get some uh, banter going and that Jacob just keeps going back to his script because that's what bar mitzvah boys do, apparently, in, in this world. Um, so uh, I was definitely sort of like, uh uh, but never really got to the boy because it was sort of pleasant enough and I and it wasn't like we had just seen it. So um definitely not my favorite, but but not a full miss for me. How did you feel? For me, I know it's been a couple of years since we saw it, but when I did, all those immediate thoughts come came flashing back, and it was just like it had premiered the week before. I just think it was hitting the same beats I, I you know a passover was obviously the reason to trot him out but we've been through almost a year's worth almost two years worth of jewish holidays where we didn't need to bring him out so i don't understand maybe they felt like they had to pad and so bring it because again it was just the same stuff I, there i can't knock the really specific jewish humor that comes out though especially you know when he starts thanking everyone and he thinks uncle simon who's so dedicated to israel that he sees past all reason uh like my one friend who's not jewish i think yes. were just really fun specific moments but it didn't make up for the fact that we're just repeating the same beats over and over and over again but going to our next feature i'm probably a bigger bruce chandling fan than you are just because again speaking from an acting perspective I have so much fun whenever this comedian character has an emotional breakdown in the middle of his weekend update feature just to analyze his life. I think my the highlight for me might have been the one when he realizes that he's dating a high schooler. That was probably it was the most shock inducing appearance of Bruce Chandling, but I thought it was a really fun take on the character who previously 
was just sort of mad. You know, he's trying to do the tropes of like a really hacky comedian, but now they're coming at it from this angle of a really hacky comedian who sort of just has a come to Jesus moment in the middle of everything and realizes like, what have I become? And I had to give it to Kyle here. I thought, you know, to have his face fall and actually elicit Oz from the crowd is definitely something. So I'm definitely in the like camp, probably more than you are, Rich. Mike, <laughs> I've enjoyed doing this podcast with you for the last few episodes. All things must come to an end. I think I'm going to have to sever our relationship. I can't I can't condone what you just said. I can't approve what you just said. This is the epitome of oh boy. <laughs> well, you know, what, what, a what a testament to these two episodes that this is the first time you uttered that phrase in yes, almost an hour and a half of speaking. It's about really these. and 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 looking ahead to the rest of the show. It's the only time I will on these two episodes. Mm. You know, I, and I will say this: the very first time we did Bruce Chandling, I gave it an oh boy. But I gave it the caveat that you gave it of. I give him such props for having the courage to go out there and intentionally sort of eat it on stage, telling bad jokes uh, and getting to this point of having this breakdown uh, and sort of being this sort of weird, vulnerable. It's not funny just to kind of come back again. Um, but that said, that was once that was then. And this is now. And it's just the same thing over and over again. And it's so painful and it's not funny. And I don't know why we need to see this I ever again it's just it just doesn't work for me so i i was just i couldn't wait for the i knew the bit was coming i was waiting for him to get to the point where he sort of realizes what a mistake his life is and then i was waiting for him to have the point where he comes back again uh you know to sort of make the joke whatever the bad joke is um i never need to see this character again i just uh, there, there's got to be better out there i i cannot uh, i just cannot it can't do it i just well, can't do it well let's make our way out of the doldrums in your opinion of this episode because as you said i think it has a very interesting back half to it the uh, yeah no i think the rest of the episode was really strong I, and i will say coming you know so now i'm definitely sort of very nervous coming off the you know the two features specifically the bruce channeling and as soon as i see that we're going to do a civil war bit my head goes to just another like oh no this is gonna be bad what is this thing gonna be uh and then it turns out to be this very silly and funny dumb idea yeah. of uh, uh you know very sort of throwaway idea that you know that they're gonna sing a very appropriate uh civil war song old new york but then uh um but then jimmy fallon's character decides to spice it up with a very uh i'll say it one direction style fat hook uh that is actually very catchy and even though the sketch is beyond predictable uh it's still all the beats hit for me and i just i enjoyed watching the predictable i enjoyed watching the performance of the very predictable fun yeah and again i think this sketch is going to hinge on whether or not you enjoy the energy that jimmy fallon brings if you do not, you're probably not going to enjoy this because from the get-go, from note one, that's pretty much all he's doing. But if you do enjoy it, it's a lot of fun to watch. As you said, it's not 
exactly that hilarious. I think there are some fun moments. I do like Bobby coming in as the commander and then say like, oh, no, I wasn't actually reprimanding you. I was just pretending to be like the dad in the song. Like you said, that hook was actually very, very catchy. I don't know if Harry Styles wrote it uh, or whoever did. But again, these SNL songs, first and foremost, are good songs more so than they might yes. be good comedy songs and you know i thought initially it was gonna be another oh jimmy fallon sings in a weird voice sketch but i was catching on to it you know by the end all the guys were jumping around singing their butts off to this hook which was just a lot of fun to watch and we got our alex moffat sighting and our bobby moynihan sightings as well so i'm happy that they were able to at least make appearances in the snl this week Yes, I thought there was a very weird meta moment where Bobby shows up as, I don't know, the general and he's very upset. And then he's like, oh, no, no, no. I was actually just uh, pretending to be the dad in the song. And then they're like, oh, we could work that into the song. It could be like the dad's really upset, but then he's just actually uh, wants to be part of the song. I'm like, you just did that with Bobby Moynihan. (laughs) That's so bizarre to me. Uh, But yeah, it was very fun. I didn't need to see Harry Styles again, but I, you know what? good for him he obviously is a very good singer uh i don't know why he couldn't just push the side of the beard back onto his face again (laughs) instead of letting it fall off he's got a little bit of work to do before he comes back in 2019 to host (laughs) uh maybe he enjoyed the fact that there was a wardrobe malfunction that might have drawn a little more attention to him if he did i'm not gonna sort of uh you know knock him for that it was all just sort of what it was so uh yeah i I thought in general written by mikey day and streeter seidel uh i I thought that they did a, a nice fun job again felt more like a party than uh, one of the funniest things ever, but, uh, but really good. Yeah. And I was singing that hook even coming into this podcast. So at least yeah. if it had the job of creating an earworm mission accomplished. Yeah, no, I thought they did a very good job. Uh, and then we go from there to another pre-tape turtle shirt. Uh, again, I, this is one where I feel like the whole was greater than the sum of the parts. Uh, it's a commercial for a shirt that you can hide in uh, uh, like a turtle would if you do something embarrassing. Um, and uh, I, sh- I shouldn't have liked this as much as I did because there was a lot of flaws in this and it didn't it didn't sort of make a lot of sense. And and yet I just thought the execution was super fun. They had fun with it. They took it very seriously. So it wasn't like they were sort of laughing through their, you know, through the bit. Um, but I thought this in general, I, thanks a lot to the turn down the what uh, soundtrack by Lil John. I thought this was just in general, uh, just really good. So I think the main humor from the sketch comes from the imagery of these guys literally shrinking into your shirts and i think once you get past the first like shock factor of jimmy fallon doing it it's fine i was not a huge fan of this one i felt like the middle one with pete davidson might have been i don't know if it was a de-escalation as much as it was sort of moving on to a different road i guess if i'm actually breaking down the logistics of it and this is sort of weird considering that this was probably like written on the fly on thursday or something but i don't understand why pete davidson would be embarrassed about you know claiming by saying that Vanessa Bear's hair looked fake. I don't think he would know the story that she got scalped by an orangutan. I think you could be like a little embarrassed by it, but I don't think it would require you shrinking inside your shirt. I think the perfect tightening for me was what happened with Beck Bennett, where you actually see the close-up of his entire body shrinking into the shirt. That being said, it didn't go on too long. We have those three examples. It was a fun visual, so I think it was fairly innocuous. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was it was fun enough. It wasn't my favorite. I like the uh, I like the idea of it. Uh, good and just 
fun enough execution. So I thought, especially for this late in the day, I thought they did a nice job. Um, and then a callback that I don't know that we necessarily needed, um, but very odd for an alumni to do a uh, one of his signature characters this late in the show. We have the return of Sully and Denise. Um, Mike, did you feel like you needed to see more Sully and Denise in your life? No, considering that what were Sully and Denise's greatest hits, they would say you are and then make out Uh, the sketch. I remember usually ended with someone making an innuendo and then Jimmy would say, hey, you got that cameraman, which Tommy, you get that, Tommy? Yeah, I don't I don't think hurl butt is an innuendo. I think that was a little bit of a stretch for that one, but they were touring Harvard. So I guess, you know, you can make the reference if you want to yeah i don't know if we necessarily needed to see this if we're going back to jimmy fallon characters i would kind of rather see jared's room is that what it was called the the, like youtube Mm -hmm. show with horatio sands the stoner show i'd rather see that than i would Celine denise even though i love rachel dratch i think rachel dratch is a very undersung snl cast member of the early to mid 2000s very much agree yes um but so i thought like the two characters were fine i like the the i guess the escalation in the character story and that now they have a daughter who's touring harvard i wasn't sure about kate mckinnon's character she was smiling a lot i couldn't tell if she was breaking or if the character from her point of view was just happy to be with her parents i agree i couldn't tell you i don't know it it, it felt if i had to guess i felt like it was more Kate McKinnon, like, look at me. I grew up on Sully and Denise, and now I'm in a sketch with Rachel and Jimmy. How great is that? Uh, mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but that was my sense of it. So, uh, and I, I agree with you. I don't know. My first thing was I was like, oh my God, I, because I watched Sully and Denise when it was live, and I'm like, Am I that old that the Sully and Denise characters could have a kid going to college? Is it been that long? And then, of course, I sort of do a quick double check. I'm like, no, it's not. It's, of course, not possible that they could have a kid going to college, which is fine. But it certainly made me go, oh, thank God. I'm just not as old as I felt uh, by the way that they they did that. So, yeah, I don't know that her, you know, the idea that she's sort of the almost Alex P. Keaton, like I'm the straight one compared to my crazy family. Um I suspect that this sketch was originally going to be very early in the show and based on the reaction to the uh, to the audience that they then decided to go, oh, we need to move this uh, because I bet that it didn't kill as much as they sort of uh, expected or hoped that it would kill. And then it did not. Mm-hmm. But that's OK. Um, we end the show with what feels on paper to be an absolutely throw away pre-tape sketch um, called the the basketball scene, which is, uh, you know, a premise that I think we have seen a thousand times, which is basically, uh, you know, during the taping of a movie or a TV show, the background extra actors or actresses uh, become so distracting that uh, that they are ultimately ruining the footage. Uh, you know, Ricky Gervais did an entire two season television show about this. Uh, we've seen it a hundred times. So when we set this up, I was just like, oh, really? Do we really need to do this? And I laughed so hard at mm-hmm. this. Uh, directed by Paul Briganti, the new guy in the directing pool. They 
just did such a fantastic job. The fact that it wasn't just their actors that uh, are just so bad that they're good or that they're, uh, you know, so uh, the spe- the specificity was specific that when he says, I thought you guys had, uh, you know, we asked for basketball, you know, skills. One guy took a sports movement class at Juilliard and Jimmy was in the stage version of Basketball Diaries. So the <laughs> setup that that's their expertise in basketball was so funny to me when they kept throwing the ball and it kept hitting and bouncing right back and then they're hitting each other and then they're hitting themselves was so funny at one point they throw it and they they hit the boom operator <laughs> uh and then at one point they, they they're looking in the ca- or they're they're bouncing in unison like it was a musical everything about it was just so stupid and so funny i thought this to me i think this was my favorite pre-tape i i i enjoyed it even more than the than uh the uh the um uh the musical the the junior high musical just because the execution was so good to me i just liked it so much the physical comedy in this was outstanding and i agree i think this would have been one of my number one sketches of the night if it wasn't for how much i loved legally blonde the musical because I mean, it starts off with these two guys just saying in the background, pass the rock. I'm going to go get the rock. I'm going to pass the rock. They just kept like repeating the same phrase over and over again. And that was fine enough. But by far the gold point of this sketch was just the montage of takes where, as you said, you know, they Mikey Day hits himself in the face with the basketball. Jimmy Fallon hits himself in the basketball. They throw the basketball and hit the boom operator who falls into frame. Uh, They deflate the basketball uh, or they say, you know, we pop the rock. We can't use the rock anymore. Uh, They they get the basketball stuck and they're throwing their shoes. Shoes. They're throwing their shoes was so great. Yeah. So it was just, it was just the montage by far was the best part. And again, a nice little fun, I'll use the term kicker at the end since Jimmy Fallon literally kicked a basketball into a hoop and you watch them like wildly celebrate. It was a really goofy sketch. It was a fun way to end the night though. So again, I have to give this, this sketch so much props for all the physical comedy in it. Sometimes when we do those extra sketches, they're usually live. I, at first I was wondering why it wasn't live and now I understand because the humor really came from the edit in that montage of botched takes. Yes. No, I thought and and the directing of the specificity, because uh, a lot of that stuff on paper could have been very like, Meh, OK, whatever. They're throwing shoes or the ball hits a guy who cares. Uh, they just uh, they, they sort of pulled a lot out of a little. So great job by the entire team. Absolutely. So yeah. any, anything special from the good nights here with Jimmy Fallon? Was it a, a warmer reception than Louis C.K.? Yes, it was a much warmer reception. A lot of a uh, lot of warmth behind uh, behind everyone involved. Uh, by the way, weird, interesting note in the writing credits. Tina Fey gets a writing hmm. credit, which I thought was interesting. Uh, if I had to guess, I'm going to guess it was the Sully and Denise. I'm guessing that probably or maybe she was the one who used to write the Sully and Denise nieces back in the day and so she wrote it for them uh remotely or or had a a hand in it i don't know i couldn't find anything about that but i thought that was very interesting um and yeah just a really i think everyone was very warm to jimmy and and seemed to really really have a good time so it was a a a nice way at the very end which you probably didn't see because uh from the uh from seeing it on television but uh, at the end jimmy fallon standing on the edge of the stage and just sort of waving 
to the crowd, but really specifically thanking the crowd for sort of uh, for sort of playing along and, and having a good time with them, which uh, actually felt really nice. So, yeah, overall, just uh, I, I thought really nice and uh, fun end to the to the um, to the whole thing it was good. Yeah, there were a lot of sketches here that made me smile. There were a couple, particularly the pre-tapes that really made me laugh out loud so i that's why i had to mark it up so high again i know that jimmy fallon especially amongst us comedy nuts might not necessarily be considered on the same level as someone like louis ck in terms of the material that he provides outside of snl but within snl i have to admit he delivered here in my opinion oh absolutely and i think again if you were to say to put to put him on another sketch comedy show that was pre-taped a little bit high more high-minded a a mr show kind of thing i think we might be like eh, he's fine okay whatever but this is where he excels and i think that you know the all the time doing late night and now the tonight show i think that you see the influence of jimmy fallon saying i know what plays on live television and so we are going to do pieces that are going to work well specifically for live tv whether it's music whether it's two you know two different impressions at the same time uh i, I thought he really delivered on that so i, I so uh, props to him a, a really strong i thought really strong showing from him all right so we've got three coming up to finish off in may we've got chris pine who actually might be the first this might be his first time hosting, but I think he's more than capable. He's shown he has a very comedic side, and I believe he actually has an arc in this season of Angie Tribeca, which is like very, very subdued humor. So I think he's going to be great here. Followed up by, as you mentioned before, Melissa McCarthy on May 13th. And finishing things off, Dwayne The Rock Johnson on May 20th. I know Melissa is officially going to enter the Five Timers Club. Is The Rock going to, or is this his fourth? <sighs> I want to say his fourth. I should be able to find that out, but I uh, I don't remember off the top of my head. But I think it's his fourth. Um, let's see if we can find out, or is is or is his third? Um, I'm actually let's not see. Sure. According to, no, actually, this is going to be his fifth. He hosted in it 2000, is. 2002, 2009, oh, right. 2015, and now 2017. I forgot he hosted twice before the sort of current run that we've been podcasting. That makes sense. So yeah. yeah good for so him. now, yeah. so two weeks in a row, we're going to have two people entering the five timers club. As we saw from the Scarlett Johansson episode, I don't know if they're going to roll out the red carpet, especially two weeks in a row. But I mean, we are now inducting several people into the five timers club. And I think Dwayne Johnson has shown how strong, how surprisingly strong of an SNL host he can be and how well he adapts to this form of comedy. So I'm excited for McCarthy, excited for Dwayne Johnson, and hopeful for Chris Pine. Yeah, no, I think this is going to be three strong episodes. I can't speak to what what we'll get from Chris Pine. I bet it will potentially be the weakest of the three, but that's okay. But in general, uh, I think we've got a nice sort of final run. I think we're going to end the year really well coming out of uh, coming out of this. I think we're on a strong run, and we'll continue it for the end of the end of the season. Absolutely. So just so you all know out there, Rich and I are still trying to figure out what to do about the final three shows, because it might be a little much covering all three. We might at the moment do one covering the Chris Pine, Melissa McCarthy episodes and then do one covering Dwayne Johnson. It may be just summarizing season 42 overall, but just stay locked in. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. Rich is at Rich Tack. I'm at a Mike Bloom type. We'll be sure to let you know what the plan is. And if you're not already, I don't know, you may be listening to this off the website, but if you're listening to this through iTunes, you already know. But if you're not, make sure you're subscribed to the SNL only feed on postshowrecaps.com slash SNL iTunes, because remember, it is not in the main feed. So if you're subscribed to the main feed, but not this one, 
you will not hear this in any other future podcast that Rich and I will do. And that is very sad. Exactly. We want you to hear all we're doing. It's only three left. So stick with us. It's a great, uh, great way to end the season. Great. Well, thank you, Mr. Bloom. Always super fun. This was a, a good one. Good ones to recap. And I, I look forward to us keeping the uh, keeping the excitement up for uh, for May. It's going to be it's going to be a good May. Absolutely. Season 42 has really been an eventful season for a variety of reasons. So I'm excited to have it closed out with hopefully three strong shows and hopefully some more great podcasts with you. Yeah. Anything else uh, you want to promote before we uh, before we say goodbye? No, if you're on the Post Show Recaps main feed, make sure you're subscribing to that because things are really ramping up. Uh, the Leftovers, Better Call Saul are just starting up as well as recurring coverage of Seinfeld. So make sure you're subscribed to everything Post Show Recaps and all the great stuff that goes on on that site. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, then I will talk to you in May and uh, let's keep the conversation going with everybody via Twitter and Facebook and uh, look forward to see what everyone thinks of the next three episodes. 